And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. John Vance, pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. Hello, Dan. Glad to be here. Well, gentlemen, it's great to have you here today. And uh, before we opened the mics, we were just fooling around a little bit, and it was hard to get calmed down in time for... Uh, going on the air. So it's a good thing we didn't have the mic open then. Last week, we were talking about the Bible and how God gave the Bible to his church. And uh, there was so much to talk about that we didn't get through all the questions. And uh, this week, we're going to take a look at a question, maybe a couple, maybe two, three questions. And the first one is translations. And maybe, Mark, you can help us out here. Yeah. You're, you know a lot about Bibles and translations and how they came about, and maybe you could just get us started on that general subject of translations. Well, well let's first off understand that it's okay to translate the Bible. Hmm. You know, there are some religions, well, John, you can tell us, what, what does Islam believe about there? Well, the Quran, uh, Orthodox Muslims in the Sunni tradition in particular do not believe that the Quran can be translated into any other language it must remain in arabic because that is the language of heaven but in contrast we have the bible being translated and we know god wants it to be translated simply because one of the very first translation of the bible was a translation of the old testament into greek which is called the septuagint mm-hmm. and jesus and the apostles all quoted from the septuagint absolutely yes so now we have translations, and, of course, the importance of translation, so it can get in the language of the people where they can understand it, and also in what we call the heart language of the people. You know, sometimes people use the phrase, no-brainer, and I don't want to sound glib here, but it's almost like this is a no-brainer, because God wants his people to learn about him, and his people talk a particular language. And so it really makes sense, doesn't it, that if you have an English-speaking people, you have an English Bible. Or if you have uh, another language in the world, you have a Bible in that language. Well, the Bible itself, of course, came to us in two languages mainly. That's Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New. Mm -hmm. And then some Aramaic. There are some Aramaic uh, extended passages, actually, in Mm -hmm. the Old Testament and a few quotations in the New But what is interesting is, as Mark has already alluded to, is that about 170 years before the Lord came into the world, the Greeks who had migrated down into Egypt and other places in Alexandria could not read Hebrew. (laughs) So therefore, it was approved to to translate the Bible. The the tradition is 70 copies. That's why it's called LXX, or 70. I didn't know that. And 70 copies were made to edify the believing community. And so uh, the Bible was translated into Greek. So, Mark, that is an excellent point to start Mm -hmm. off. You're saying 70 copies by different ones, and they were all exactly the same. That's what the yes. letter of Aristeus tells yes, us. Yes. Eh, that may be true, or maybe not. But maybe not. We, but <laughs> but we, we do have uh, the Bible written so the, in Greek. So the very first principle, Mark, that you've shared is that it's okay to translate the it's, Bible. It's okay to translate the Bible. And you see Jesus using yeah. a translation of his own day. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, it's, it's clear that he quoted from the LXX, or the Septuagint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
which means 70, by the way. 70. Mm-hmm. That's right, 70, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because, I mean, you've seen a lot of people will probably see the LXX and what is that anyhow? What that Sounds is like a, a new car model Well, it's, it's, it's <laughs> like this computer language, you know, LOL, what's that? Well, yeah. laugh out loud, you know. That's another a plain answer session. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're yeah. talking today about translations here on a plain answer. I don't know about you, gentlemen, but uh, I have a number of translations here sitting in my study. And uh, I kind of tend towards one in my reading, but I have others. Unfortunately, I'm not a scholar, and I haven't, like you gentlemen, I have not studied the original languages, the Hebrew, the Greek. I wish I had, but but I haven't. Why do you guys do that, by the way? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, Why do we study languages? No matter how well that we can translate into a language, it's still some of the richness of the original will escape you. Mm. Some of the figures of speech, what we call idiomatic figures of speech, will escape you. Moreover, the Greek language, for instance, is highly refined, and its mm. case endings and so forth tell us sometimes a little more than you can get, let's say, in English. So, mm. yes, in the mm. Protestant ministry in particular, uh, seminarians study both Hebrew and Greek, so that we can have an encounter with the original text. And that does help, but that is not necessary uh, for understanding the Scriptures. It's quite clear on its own in the translation. Mm -hmm. But some of the nuances are captured in the study of language. So it helps when the doctors of the church, teachers of the church, know the original languages to to better help explain it. Now what about all the translations, Mark? Well, there are a lot of translations, and of course, there are a number of reasons uh, for many of these translations. If we look at the history, especially of the English translations, of course, it started at a time when it was illegal to translate the Bible. It was illegal. Yeah. Well, actually, Hmm. the first one, it wasn't illegal right then because nobody had really done it, and that was John Wycliffe. When John Wycliffe translated the Bible back in the 1380s, and there was actually probably other people who were doing the the work, John Purvey and, and Nicholas of Hereford, you know, nobody at that point said it was illegal. Hmm. But after it got out and people started studying it, it really got people upset. And so 20 years later, was it 148, I think, 20 years after Wycliffe's death, they condemned him, burned his bones, and said nobody should read his Bible. Now, why would they be all upset about that? Well, because... Frankly, the Bible was teaching things that were contrary to what the church was teaching. Um, <laughs> you know, that that is true. And Wycliffe's okay. life is very inspiring. It's an inspiring yeah. life. He was a faithful man. Yeah. His followers were called Lollards, yeah. and uh, it became an outlaw movement in itself. But it was simply a community uh, that was studying the Bible and studying the Bible in the vernacular, that is, in the language which they spoke. So they were translating it for that reason. Mm -hmm. And it it was not to uh, actually go against other Christians. It was produce a better Christian because the Word of God is capable of doing that. And, of course, at that time they felt there was only one official Bible, which was the Latin translation, the Vulgate. And uh, that was the official Bible, and, of course, the only ones who could read that were the scholars. Mm -hmm. They really didn't want the people reading that. Mm -hmm. And so then when you come into the time of the Reformation, the early 16th century, then you have a guy by the name of William Tyndall 
who was translating the New Testament into English. And his first copy edition was out in 1526. And he was then condemned and burned at the stake in 1535 or 36, I mm-hmm. think. It does show uh, motivations, though, yeah. why there was a suppression of the Bible being well, translated. Sure. I think it's two motivations for the authorities at that time to do it. Number one, there seems to be in history that some people want to dominate others, power elites, let's put Mm -hmm. it that way. Mm -hmm. So the elites did not want to lose their authority and power over the people. Mm -hmm. And two, they were fearful that they would, by locals and people studying the Bible, they would unleash Mm -hmm. fanaticism, Mm -hmm. fear of the people. Uh, lots yes. of reasons like that. The same kind of things we do today when we have our elites who mm-hmm. want to regulate and control our entire lives. We're not to be trusted with our own freedom. No. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. No. You got me going here today, but we just had a visit from I guess, some government. The census. Yeah. And we said, do we have to comply? <laughs> 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 you know, we have a little libertarian bent, I guess, the Elmendorf household. Here. <laughs> and yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh well, you know we we obey those who God has put over us. But yeah. I suppose um, there are some concerns that the church would have as people get the Word of God in their own language, and that is something we'll get at probably after this coming break regarding how the Bible is to be read, and is it always to be read? by a single individual in a cave. Just remember that picture. We'll be right back after this break. You're tuned to a plain answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. To be heard, but to hear what you would say, word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see. Your majesty to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. Your majesty to be still 
And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Join me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. John Vance, pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. Today we're talking about the Bible, and in particular we've been talking about translations of the Bible, some of the history of translations, why translations in the language of the people. Uh, Gentlemen, how do you want to continue now as we uh, talk about this subject? Well, let's just talk a little bit more about the history of the resistance to it and the struggle. I mean, uh, we have an English Bible today in our hands, and it was translated on the blood of a number of martyrs Mm. who translated it at peril of their own life. I mentioned William Tyndall, who was strangled and burned at the stake. It is purported his last words were, Open the eyes of the King of England. Mm. King of England at the time was Henry VIII. Interestingly enough, three years later, Henry VIII officially said, We need to have an English translation of the Bible. Oh, my. And so the English translation that he eventually wound up with, without getting into the details of the nuances, was called the Great Bible. Mm. Much of it was Tyndall's work. Another person who did a lot with that Bible, responsible for it, was a man by the name of John Rogers. Mm. John Rogers, his translation of the Bible was called the Matthews Bible. He used a pseudonym to try to keep him from being killed. As it turned out, when Mary took over as Queen of England, he was the first martyr to be killed. So this is dangerous work? It was very dangerous Mm. work for many of them. And there were numerous people, these are guys who are translating, but numerous people who also lost their lives for owning a copy of the Bible. Just for owning it. Printing and 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 owning. Printing and owning and reading it. Mm. Can you imagine that? And there were those. And one of the interesting things is, you know, how precious this word was to them. One young man, back in the day when Henry VIII said, okay, we want the Bibles in all the churches, they would take a Bible and they'd chain it to the church. Mm. You know, because otherwise it was taken. And, of course, the cathedrals back then, you know, we think of churches, you have one sanctuary. Well, the cathedrals back then had a main sanctuary, and then they'd have what were called transepts. Little side rooms where other services could be going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. So one of these cathedrals had six Bibles, and, of course, the priest was doing his thing in one area, and a young man stood up and started reading the Bible in the language of the people, and the people got excited. They, they came and they gathered around. They had a big crowd, and soon it caused a disturbance, and the bishop had the, this young man thrown in jail. Oh, for reading, for, the, for Bible. reading the Bible. <laughs> well, and I'm just sitting here thinking about this picture of Bibles being chained. Chained, so they didn't yeah. leave the church. Now, of course, it's wrong to steal from anyone, let alone a church. <laughs> but today, in our day and age, Uh-oh. here in New York State, in our area, you'd have a hard time just giving a Bible away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Well, what about the way the Bible is to be read? Um, you know, it is it is um, to be received by the people of God, and therefore it's to be read mm. to our own edification. But I must say, uh, I think there is a misunderstanding, and particularly I would say in in some quarters about the Bible and its reading. The Scripture warns us that the Bible is of no private interpretation. Now, that doesn't mean it's to be in the hands of a clerical elite and they tell us what's there. But, you know, the Bible, remember we talked about last week that it was given to the community, but it was written Mm. by over 40 people over a long history, 
given uh, not just to an individual, but to another community, the believing community who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And the Bible is to be read in that context because the scriptures clearly say that uh, the Lord has appointed teachers in his church. Now, I have, uh, of course, since in my life been called to the ministry, and I teach. And I probably do know, as well as Mark, uh, we probably do know more than the average person about the Bible. We've spent our lives in it, Hmm. studying it. And so people come for advice. That seems to me uh, an important and valuable service to the church, that we have teachers who can teach us. Whenever I study for a sermon, yeah. for instance, I try to keep up the communion of the saints because I go back and read people like Augustine. Mm-hmm. I read John Calvin. I read Martin Luther. Yes. I read George Whitfield. I read Jonathan yeah. Edwards. And I'm saying, wonder what Jonathan Edwards says on this passage. Yeah. That's good because, you know, I was just thinking about a verse of Scripture here. We alluded to it last week, Second Peter uh, chapter 3. I think, Mark, you alluded to it. Verses 15 and 16. Want to read that? It ties into your thought here, John. It says, And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. So here is a case where it can happen. And I know we mentioned this when we first opened up the mic today. Imagine sitting there in a cave reading the Bible all alone by yourself. There are actually some concerns with that approach, if that's all you do, because you can be untaught. You can be unstable. You can read the Word of God. Um, I know there's a popular radio guy out there. He says, the Bible alone and in its entirety is the Word of God. Well, that's true as far as it goes, but you cannot read the Bible alone without the church and get the right message. Well, the communion of the saints is a precious Mm. doctrine taught in the New Testament. Mm. We share in each other's gifts and talents and so forth. I want to share in the intellect and spirituality of a John Calvin. I'm a Calvinist. I'm also a Lutheran. (laughs) I'm also a Whitfieldian. Uh, Whenever I go to the scriptures, I want to read it in the context of that communion. Yeah, when when I look at scriptures, I like to look at the commentaries about it. And if I realize that I have a, a unique interpretation of the scripture, it's probably wrong. Yeah. Isn't that the case? Yeah. yeah. You're checking it. Uh, yeah. Notice yeah. what Paul did. I, I think of that passage in Galatians. Uh, Paul was quite clear that the gospel was revealed to him independent of the other apostles. But he did go up to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. did check things out with them. What are you teaching and preaching? And discovered, right. in fact, that they had the same gospel. Mm. Right. Very significant. Uh, significant. Yeah. Yeah. Significant. <laughs> It's pride and hubris to think that you have all the truth when we are taught that there's such a thing as the church where we have different gifts and talents and so forth. Last week, one of you gentlemen mentioned 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, where it says that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That reminds me of that verse. It is. That that connection with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the right way to get your teaching. Mm. That's how you derive information and stay safe within the bounds of truth. You know, when we have the Word of God here, 
um, various translations in the language of the people. It's a tremendous privilege, uh, a privilege mm-hmm. beyond belief, I think, John, you mentioned before we opened the mics. And uh, what are some um, reasonably faithful translations that we have at our disposal today? I think when we're looking at the translation, we have a lot of good translations. Now, there are a couple of different breaks. For example, you have the old King James. Fine translation. A really good translation. They had a set of manuscripts that was available at that time. In the 16th century, Erasmus put them together, and and some of the other scholars pulled these together. Since that time, we found a bunch more that are a lot older. Mm -hmm. And so then we got what we call the more modern translations, which are good translations that are using manuscripts that are maybe even better than the ones that Much older, much older. Much older, yes, much Mm -hmm. older, and uh, very numerous. So do I understand it, Mark, that you're you're not a King James-only guy, no, although no. you love the King James? I love the King James. Yeah, okay. It's fine. I think it has some shortcomings. You understand that the Puritans didn't like it. The, the Geneva Bible was the Bible of the Puritans. The Puritans did not like it, you said? No. Yeah. Well, King James, I mean, after all, King James was no friend of the, <laughs> uh, of the Puritans. He was no okay. friend of... of what we would call the most conservative of Christians, although the translation committee was pretty good. They were mostly Anglicans. Mm -hmm. There were a few Puritans. So these Puritan gentlemen, uh, what translation did they have? They had the Geneva Bible. Also called uh, the Breaches. The Breaches Bible. Bible. (laughs) Uh, There's a translation into English where, you know, they made him uh, sew together and made aprons for our original parents. It says, and and he sewed them breeches. That's the way they translated that. And so one of the things that they did, of course, it was the Geneva Bible was translated in Geneva, Switzerland, at the time of Bloody Mary in England. And so there was a lot of comments on the side. Not all these comments were favorable to the hierarchical church, nor were mm-hmm. all the comments favorable to the royalty. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they did not like that. And I think part of the reason James acquiesced at the Hampton Court Conference when they got together, he was disagreeing with the Puritans on virtually everything. <laughs> But he allowed for another translation. I think that was in their face, too, because he didn't like the Geneva Bible, and the Geneva Bible was the English translation of its day. Hmm. Okay. The Bishop's Bible had been translated after that, but the Bishop's Bible never got traction. Mm-hmm. Of course, they loved the Geneva Bible because of its history. Hmm. Uh, they had uh, read it when they were under persecution. It had become a most precious translation to them. But eventually, uh, the King James Version became the authorized version almost for all Christians Mm -hmm. in the English-speaking world. Well, gentlemen, I'm looking at the clock here. I can't believe we're almost out of time. We've got another couple of minutes left. Let's see if we can uh, have some summary thoughts, particularly on, uh, Mark, maybe you have a few recommendations of faithful translations for folks that are listening. And uh, as we start, I believe there's two aspects to it, and that is some translations are very literal. Other have more yeah. of a, what they call a dynamic equivalency. Yeah. yeah, there are two directions translations go. One, to be very literal to the Greek and the Hebrew, mm-hmm. and to be very accurate. The other is to, to make a nice, flowing English language. More yeah. literary. More literary, and that we call dynamic equivalence. Okay. Dynamic equivalence. And so you have these two extremes. They both have their uses. I think for good study, though, you want a good literal Bible. Mm -hmm. Good literal Bibles, 
English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, the New King James Version. These are all very good literal Bibles. Mm -hmm. And the NIV kind of sits in between the two of them. The uh, dynamic equivalents, the New Living Translation, the paraphrases, Eugene Peterson's, uh, Mm -hmm. what's that? The Living Bible? The Amplified. There, There are many translations, but of the modern translations, I think the English Standard Version and the New American Standard Version are... And the New King James Version are the best of the literal ones. The NIV is very good. It kind of sits between okay. the literal and the dynamic equivalent. And the New Living Translation is probably the most popular of the dynamic equivalent. And they're really good, especially for young Christians or sure. people who are not familiar with the Bible. They're helpful hmm. in that sense. So I guess it's uh, it's beneficial to know uh, which category you you have of which right. bible if if you know you've got the dynamic equivalent that's kind of nice to know as you read through right. that you're not necessarily reading the the more literal translation right exactly. and, and so keep that in mind but it can be very helpful yes well that's true uh these new much more free should i say literary <laughs> approaches do help young christians it's easier to read mm-hmm. uh king james well i love it and i grew up on it Mm. It's difficult for modern young people to even understand the language because language changes a great deal. Mm. It does. There's so, nothing necessarily sacred about That's why we keep translating language. and updating the Bible in that yeah. sense. Yeah. You may get accustomed to the King James, but your children may have struggle reading it. Oh, yeah, I, I'm sure they would. I, I grew up, too, on the King James, and I've adopted uh, using the New King James, but I've also heard some very good things about the New American Standard and more recently the English Standard Version that you referred to, Mark. Well, I see we're out of time already. Uh, We could keep going, I suppose, for months on this topic, but uh, we are out of time. This is a plain answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Today in the studio has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. John Vance, pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. We invite your questions for this program. Feel free to post them on our toll-free line. That number is 888-724-4427. For Redeemer Broadcasting and A Plain Answer, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please join us again next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.